0: We were going through First Peter and we stopped the week before Christmas and did a two-week Christmas story, if you want to call it that, showing some of the prophecies that led up to the coming of the Christ and His birth and gave a reason historically as to why our Christmas holiday that we have set aside to celebrate the birth of the Lord why well, it was in December and when it truly was in the Feast of Harvest, which should have been around October, and what led up to that. And my point in telling you all that is we, we spent two weeks on that or we would be through Peter, and I don't say this jokingly, but in November, Steve and I went to the Lord with Tonka. And sometimes a minister will get things on his mind when he hears other people and it bumps around and you end up doing what we call shooting from the hill. You may have a text that was on your mind and when you get somewhere and listen to other people preaching that the text or where you're going to come from at least is not really prepared. It just pops into your mind. And I'm telling you all this because this is the text that I used that day. I'm not going to use it the same way. And if it's uh, repetitive, I will apologize for that. But this is where we're at. And I want to take it by the context of Scripture. When I used it in November, it was the best I remember, teach what we should preach to profit the church, which is, of course, the sufferings of Christ. But last week, as we started back, we came into suffering for the Lord. And it's an important thing to think about because as we live in this world we certainly suffer. We we don't necessarily in this context that's in the scripture today think about persecutions as being killed and and, and, and and mauled and maimed and abused physically. But I think a lot of this context deals with the what Paul called a conflict. The things that are within us that, that would draw us away from Christ and striving to live with God, with Christ and walk in Christ and striving to be separate from the world and its teachings. You're going to find as we go on through chapter 4, he talks about those who think it's strange because you do not run to excess of riot with them. To the world, it is very... Confusing. They don't understand why we choose to walk in a way which denies the satisfaction of the flesh and the natural man. Unto them that are of the world and it's not given to them to come to God because they're not chosen of God, they will never understand this as long as they live in this world. And we suffer in living in that environment. We suffer in being surrounded by those who have no sense of good, no sense of godliness. Society would be at the very bottom of the pit that Christ lifted us up from were it not for the grace of God. And we have to live among that while we live in this world. It weighs down on us. It eats at our soul many times. Yet we have joy in Christ and we have joy in the worship of Christ. We have joy in the kingdom of God and the knowledge of Christ. Why he said in verse 15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Put God first, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Satan constantly, constantly attacks us with things of the flesh and things of the world, whatever it may be. James said every man enticed of his own lust. We've all got our own problems, and Satan knows what they are, and he eats at us with those things. We suffer in this world. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Put God first. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All things needful will be added to us. We prosper in peace. We prosper in godliness. We prosper in all things that God gives us spiritually when we put the Lord first. And He tells us about having a good conscience. We're going to get down to that today. It has a lot to do with baptism. It has a lot to do with being in the church. It has a lot to do with the kingdom of God and putting God first in our life. talks about them being speaking of us as evildoers. We'll get to that again in chapter 4. And we came down to verse 17 where we closed last week. For it is better if the, if the will of God be so. You catch that? If the will of God be so. And I've said this twice. In the last two years, this will be the third time, I do not know the mind of God. I do not know why some men and women who are God's children suffer more so than others. I do not know why some of them suffer temptation, hatred, persecution, and all the things in the world more than others. Peter says if, if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. It's better to suffer as a child of God in this world fighting against the forces of darkness, walking in the Spirit of God which He hath anointed you with, It's better to suffer in that way, trying to live a godly life, than it is to fall to the ways of the flesh, the temptations of Satan, and all the world throws at a child of God. It's better to suffer for righteousness' sake. It's better to suffer for being a child of God. I've been going to read the 44 Psalm all week and haven't turned to it yet. And that's my fault. But if you read the 44 Psalm, you will find two reasons why we suffer. One, because we turn from God. It goes back to Romans 8. One, because we turn from God. And one, because we are God's children. Now the text in the 44 Psalm deals with physical tribulation also. But we're hated of the world. God has given us a kingdom. It's better to suffer for righteousness' sake, for Christ's sake, than for evil. We'll start with verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Christ is the man. God was His is. I don't say was. God is His Father. He has always been His Father. He always will be His Father. Some people want to talk as if Christ came around at the time of His incarnation, but He was the Son of God before He was incarnate in this world when God created the heaven and earth. The Son of God was the wisdom of God. Proverbs 8, and the power of God 1 Corinthians chapter 1 he's the living word of god Hebrews 4 that created the heaven and the earth that also goes to Romans 11, I mean Hebrews 11 Christ is eternal let us make man in our image father word holy ghost father son holy ghost why am i telling you that because Christ the man Jesus Christ incarnate in the flesh born in this world with his father being God conceived of the Holy Spirit from the Virgin, perfect, no inherited sin, walked in perfection, no sin omitted, no sin committed. The man suffered for sin. If God's children could understand the plain text taught in Scripture, which is the Word of God, Reveal to us, the will of God revealed to us, Christ, the revelation, that God in His omniscience, knowing all things which would come to pass, foreknew, I hate to use that word because it details an intimacy with His people, but He did foreknow them as a man does his wife. And then His omniscience knew the fall of man, that Adam was sin. And that sin would enter the world by man and death by sin. And God in eternity, that means it never had a beginning. It's always been this way. It's always been made. And I'm speaking of the covenant of grace that the Son of God would come into the world and die for the sins of God's people. For it is better that the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil. For Christ also hath once suffered for sin. It was God's will that Christ be born into the world in the fullness of time, a time God ordained, a time God said, a time God foreknew, and that His Son would suffer. God cannot die. God cannot suffer pain. Yet God came forth as the Christ. He's the everlasting Father. He's the, the God manifest in the flesh. He came into the world As a man, to do what the Spirit of God cannot do. Yeah, there's things God cannot do. God cannot die. God cannot suffer. God cannot fail. God cannot lie. And He became a man and came into this world. He was made flesh to suffer and bleed and die for the sins of His people. Those the Father gave Him. There's the covenant. For Christ also has once. That's so important. That's so important. Every year the high priest would enter into the holy place, the Most Holy with blood and offer a sacrifice first for Himself and also for the children of Israel, the children of God. Every year. No, it didn't wash away sin. No, it didn't roll sin back another year. It brought into remembrance yearly that we are sinners. Our existence is sin. Our very being is sin.
1: Every year,
0: Christ entered (coughs) into the holy place made without hands once, one time, and perfected the offering that was all pointed to and prophesied of in the Old Testament Scripture and the Law and the Prophets. For Christ also has once suffered for sins I ain't getting into that. I ain't not talk about somebody else. But let me tell you, suffered for sins, that means your sin-cursed existence, your being, your soul, your body, your life. It also means sins, plural. Each and every sin ever committed, past, present, future even the sins of the mind and the sins of the heart which come by our nature as fallen man. He suffered for that. Now we talked about Christmas and the birth of Christ and we talked about the great love of God. Realize the love of God in Christ. That He suffered for us. What God could not do being spiritual, He was made flesh and came into this world and died. He suffered for
1: us. The just
0: (laughs) for the unjust. Lord have mercy. When Christ... Was taken from the council of the Jews, was brought to Pilate. Pilate, knewing, knowing that the, high, the priest let that sink in, the religious order of the day, the high and mighty self righteous who justified themselves by the law could find nothing to accuse Him for they hated Him without a cause. So Pilate knew they delivered Him up for mischief. And Pilate stood before the Jews whom the priesthood had provoked and stood up and cause them to desire and demand the crucifixion of the very Son of God. like that Ye thus have a custom, Jewish people, that at the feast of the Passover, I would release one unto you. The custom was the time of the Passover when they would gather together in Jerusalem and celebrate and and obey the law in the feast of the Passover, which was being fulfilled at that time, that Pilate would release unto them a prisoner.
1: The just...
0: For the unjust. He said, shall I release unto you Barabbas? Barabbas was a notable prisoner. If you read the scripture prayerfully, you will see that he was hated. Make you think about Ezekiel. Is it six where you were laid out into an open field and loathed? Barabbas was hated. He was guilty of sedition. He was guilty of treason and murder which he had committed during the treason. Now the law and the prophets were until John. And the law and the prophets were types and shadows of Christ. But we can most surely see in Barabbas a beautiful example or picture of the children of God. We were in rebellion against the God of creation. The very Jews, all that was left of Israel, the very remnant of Israel there, And the whole nation had rebelled against God, justifying themselves by the works of the law, loving the silver and gold of the temple more than the temple and the altar itself, looking down upon God's children, despising the poor, giving them rules that they were to live by, which they themselves would not keep. They would not enter into the kingdom of God themselves and they suffered others not to also. Shall I release unto you Barabbas or this man, you notice the Very important fact. This man, all God, all man, which is called Christ. He is called Christ because He is the Christ that was prophesied all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And by the way, That's where the Lord said, I will put enmity between thy seed, Satan, and the seed of the woman. Thou shalt bruise his heel, but he shall bruise thy head. That's prophesying of the coming of Christ. That's prophesying of the Messiah. And the enmity, by the way, the enmity that God placed between us And Him is what causes us to turn from the world, hating the world, hating the nature of our flesh, hating the things which cause us to fall, hating the idols in our heart by our nature. Shall I release unto you Barabbas? Or this man that is called Christ?
1: I want you to think about this.
0: You've been to a football game. I've been to a hockey game, but I think football is the worst sport for this as far as cheering and getting carried away and being emotional. And I've seen, I've seen people at football games literally foaming at the mouth. I remember the first one I went to, we went to an Auburn and Tennessee game at Legion Field, and I was probably knee-high to a duck. This woman beside me, I don't know what she was drinking, but it was more than coke the way she was acting. She slung her drink and popcorn all over me. She was so excited. And I give you that somewhat foolish example to to understand the frenzy that these people were in and had been worked up unto by the Jewish leaders and by the darkness of Satan and hating the very Lord Jesus Christ who is many of their Savior they didn't just say crucify him you heard them on TV when you watch the games defense defense this is the way that was crucify him a multitude of people crucify him it was the will of God that Christ should suffer. Father, forgive them so they know not what they do. It was the will of God he'd be betrayed. He didn't cause them to do it, but he knew they would do it.
1: Release unto us
0: Barabbas. As for this man, Christ, crucify him. His wife came and said, it have nothing to do with this just man, for I've suffered many things of him in a dream. I read in a book one time the dream that she had. She saw Christ as they did in Ezekiel and Exodus 24. She saw Christ in the heaven, riding upon a throne of pavement, just as Moses and Aaron did in Exodus 24. Have thou nothing to do with this just man?
1: Why? What evil hath he done?
0: And even more so, crucify him! Let His blood be upon us and upon our children. Which brings us to the other prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Completely raised, the Scripture says. That means R-A-Z-E-D. To the ground. Completely gone. Manifesting. Christ fulfills the law and the prophets. Manifesting. There was no more use. He took away the first God in Christ that He may establish the second. The just. Christ. Giving up His life, suffering the wrath of God. We cannot begin to imagine what happened in the three hours of darkness when His body became sin and God would not look upon it. But what we do know is heart-wrenching to know the love of Christ and how He died for us. The just, the righteous, the Creator of heaven and earth for the unrighteous, just. That is us. That was Barabbas, a, a representation of every child of God. Morally bankrupt, no way to approach into God, no way to know God, no way to come to God at rebellion against God and happy in it. That He, Christ, might bring us his children, the elect of God, to God. Driven from God in Adam's sin, lest we be consumed, brought back to God in the presence of God in fellowship with God through the blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. One time he suffered. Being put to death in the flesh, He laid His life down. But quickened by the Spirit. The Spirit of God raised Him. The same Spirit of creation. The same Spirit. The same power of creation. The same power. The same Spirit that gives you life. And translates you into the kingdom of God, which is the presence of God. Quickened by the Spirit. By which also He, Christ, went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Isaiah 42, prophesying of the coming of Christ and the work that Christ would do. Verse 7, I believe, teaches us that He would deliver us from darkness. He is the light of God. We find it there. He'd be a light to the Gentiles. We find it there. John chapter 1, we find that Christ is the light of God. He is the life of God that shines unto men. We find in John, 1 John chapter 1, in Him is light. There is no darkness at all. And it tells us there, with Him being the light of God, that He will deliver us from darkness and from the prison house of darkness. Okay? Now, by which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Okay? These people that he preached to, there was not the law given. There was not an organized church service. There were not preachers in the way that we see them now. Enoch preached. Noah preached. God sent men to preach the gospel. But this says Christ by the Spirit of God preached unto them. Have you turned to Galatians? Thinking about Scripture. Thinking about preaching. Galatians. I'm past it. Let me back up. Chapter 3. I love this text in Galatians. Verse 8. 3 and 8. And the Scripture. You see what it's talking about? The Scripture. The Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Who is the testimony of God? foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the Gospel unto Abraham. This is before Moses. There was no law service. But yet the Scripture, Christ, preached to him, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. Come back over here. Christ went into the prison house of darkness, visited these people, gave them life, quickened them, wrote His law upon their inward parts and taught them about Himself, the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah who would come, prophesied all through the law and prophets which came after this. Because talking about these spirits, in prison, the prison house of darkness, which sometimes were disobedient. How disobedient were they? It grieved the Lord that He had made man on the earth. God would destroy every single being that had the breath of life in it because every imagination of their heart was only evil continually. But, but, I love that, but God, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah, his sons, and all their wives were placed upon that ark. What happened to everybody else? They were destroyed. They died in the flood. What is this text telling us? That... When God was suffering the sin of man on the earth for that 120 years, while Noah was preaching to people, and preaching has nothing to do with being born of the Spirit of God, you've got to be born and made alive before you can hear, before you can get thirsty, before you can get hungry, before you can walk. But God gave His people life, God changed them, God quickened them before they perished off the face of the earth because we must all be changed. He's telling us this for a reason because we suffer in this world. We see people. Great, great agony and persecution. Far more, far more than I face. May God bless them. He's telling us this to give us the hope the earnest expectation of the finished work of Christ, which is the manifestation of the body,
1: the adoption of the sons of God.
0: While the ark was preparing, wherein that few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. I'm not on Gary, I or to. Might as well spend some time. Six days the Lord made the earth, heaven, and earth. Seventh day God rested because creation was finished. Wasn't tired, it was finished. In the number eight, in the souls upon that ark, we see a new beginning. Six, seven is completed, and eight. We see a new beginning. Christ came forth on the first day of the week. Saturday is the Jewish Sabbath. Sunday, today, the Lord's Day. The number eight portrayed as a new beginning in Christ. I hope that briefly makes sense. But there were eight souls of the promised seed the elect of God upon that ark. Eight souls were saved by water. Now let's think about this when we think about the providence of God. How did water save them? God destroyed the wicked of the
1: world by water. And in
0: that, they were saved. There's a salvation there by water. God working. When they came forth out of Egypt and they were led down to a place of no escape, there against the Red Sea, I don't care what some squirrel-headed historian tells you, it's not the Reed Sea, which is knee-deep. It was the Red Sea. And God parted the waters. They had salvation by water. God parted the water. They crossed over as on dry land, dry shod. Christ, the Word of God, parted the water, brought them over. And Pharaoh in his worldly arrogance of the natural flesh pursuing after them much as the world pursues after God's children today, seeking to do them harm and enslave them again. That same water by which God saved His people, God destroyed Pharaoh's army. There's a saving by water. We also see a saving by water when God parted the River Jordan, and they crossed into the Promised Land. But that's a different type of saving. That's the saving of coming into the church. Which is what's about under the land of Canaan that God promised them. Which is goes in line with what's coming here. The like figure of those eight souls saved by water, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. I heard my... Young life, you got to get baptized. You got to get baptized. You got to get baptized. Don't tell me I got to do something because I'm not going to do it. I'll show you I'm not going to do it. Well, you're going to go to hell if you don't get baptized. You heard that gibberish. Baptism saves you. What does the Bible teach us? We are saved in the blood of Christ. There's no water in the sense of salvation there. It's the blood of the Lamb. The glory is His, and that alone. Baptism is the entering the watery grave to show that Christ died for us and coming forth from the water to show that Christ, the man, came forth from death. Remember last week it was not possible that He should be holden of death. It was not possible that death could hold Him. The like figure whereto to even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. I am a sinner. My salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else can do it. Nothing else could begin to do it. It's not possible any other way. The Christ of God died for my sins. He suffered for me. This is my answer to that. Is baptism and coming into the church and serving the Lord. The answer for good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven That work was finished. God received him back into the heavens. Had that work not been finished, God would not have received him back into heaven. That's an evident testimony that it is finished. Who has gone to heaven, sitting on the right hand of the majesty on high, on the right hand of God. Now, catch this angels, creatures, Mightier than us. And authorities. Well, God, Christ is the authority in heaven and in earth. But when we have authorities and powers of darkness trying to reign over us and rule over us in the earth while we dwell here, suffering because we are children of God, They've been made subject unto Him. Our God is on the throne. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Beginning verse 4, same text. This is about us walking in Christ. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. Christ left glory, laid the glory of the Godhead aside, was made flesh, dwelt among us, suffered, bled, and died for us. He suffered, He bled, He died for us. For as much as Christ has saved us and has power over all things created, arm Yourselves. You catch that? We fight a battle. We fight a battle. Years ago, Francis Warren, when they really started shooting up churches, he said, Why don't you go out there and get that gun out of your truck and bring it in here when you come in? We fight. We're surrounded. And it's here for the protection of the sheep. But it's not what we fight with. That's a defensive weapon. We fight with the Spirit of God. And our God fights the battle for us. The Bible says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies be at peace with him. He may make them at peace with us. He may totally destroy them. This is a, whatever the will of God. May it be so. Arm yourselves. Likewise. This is our weapon. Isaiah 49 says He is a a sword, a mighty weapon. He's the mightiest weapon ever because He is the weapon of God. Christ, He is the sword of God. He's the living Word of God. He has power over all things. He has power to kill and power to heal and power to make alive. And He reigns and He rules over His people and He puts a hedge around them in Christ. And He carries them and He delivers them and He protects them in Christ and through Christ. Arm yourselves likewise with the same man. This knowledge of the Son of God that is so very precious, that gives us peace beyond understanding. Natural man cannot understand it. It's not given unto them too. But for us, to whom God reveals Himself to in Christ, this is the strongest, the greatest, love, knowledge, power, assurance, People say, well, you don't have any assurance. Pardon me. What did John say in 1 John? To those that believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I write unto you that ye may know to have everlasting life. Assurance. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Very quickly. And I've given you this a lot and I'm going to give it to you the right way today, Lord willing. We've talked a lot in the past at funerals and stuff especially where when we talk about when we're dead and we leave this body, we're freed from sin. And that certainly is true because when this sin-cursed body is laid down, our spirit and soul is immediately with the Lord, snap your fingers that quick, blink an eye that quick. There's no timetable it's forthwith, with. It's immediate. Okay. But in the text of Romans 6 and Romans 7, it's speaking of being dead to the law. Okay? Now, if we be dead with... Well, I'll go to verse 7. Now, he that is dead is freed from sin because Christ died for our sin. His body became sin For us. When He was nailed to the tree, you were there with Him. He died for you. Therefore, you're dead with Him. Dead to sin. Dead to the law. Sin and death. For he that is dead is freed from sin... Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Here's my point. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. And this text goes on. We strive to walk with God, and we suffer in this world of sin and darkness. Arm yourself. He that has suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin. We're buried with Christ, and we came forth, the resurrection of life. We're dead to sin. We're now under grace. We're not under the law. We're not condemned by the law. Christ paid our penalty. He suffered for us. That He no longer should live the rest of His time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Dealing with suffering. We know God plants it within us. We strive to walk with God. We pray daily for deliverance. I do not mean eternal. I mean temporal. Lord, deliver me from these wicked thoughts. Lord, drive this wickedness from my mind, from my soul. Help me please that I may walk with Christ, that I may walk in a way which is glorifying and honoring to Thy Son. And Satan walks about his roaring lion, trying to lead us astray. He knows he cannot take you from God. He cannot keep you from heaven and immortal glory and endless joys which we shall never ever begin to imagine until we're there. But the Lord delivers us. He strives to make us fall. He's telling us how we are to live and how we are to walk and how we are to suffer by standing against the ways of the world and sanctifying the Lord God in our heart because Christ has suffered for us, because Christ loves us, because Christ has died for us, and Christ has raised up for us, and Christ is at the right hand. That's important. The man. Jesus Christ in that crucified body at the right hand, the majesty on high, forever making intercession for us. And we strive to live our lives according to the will of God as we suffer in this sinful, sin-cursed earth The longer we are in this world, the more we loathe it. L-O-A-T-H. Has it got an E? I don't remember. Loathe it. Hate it. As blessed as we are here with everything God blesses us with in His hands, food, clothing, even freedom in this country. The kingdom of God to worship and praise and learn of Christ. Even in persecution. David said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Here in this dark world, we have a place to feed. A table. The master's table. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings. Let that sink in. Banquetings and abominable idolatries. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. This is their fault. They won't go down this road with us. They won't live like this. They won't allow us to do this. They will not allow us to do this. It's their fault. We hate them. Why? Why are they different? Because you, remember chapter 1, are chosen and sanctified of God. These people who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. I want to get to a point for us down. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. We read that. We think about the quick being those who are alive in the world. And the dead being those who are in the grave or consumed of an animal and scattered upon the earth and the dung of the animal or burned in fire, consumed into ash whatsoever. We know nothing that's created can escape creation. It's all here. God knows where it's all at and God will put it all together again. One day, those graves shall open and the body of every child of God shall be called forth and Christ will meet them in the air and their souls which are with Christ shall... Be reunited with that body and those which are alive in Christ will be changed and they all be carried to heaven forevermore. You're appointed unto that in the judgment of the wicked. Those that are in the ground and dead. That are not God's. Body reunited with Spirit and cast into the everlasting lake of fire. But let me give you a little bit more Confirmation would be the word I'd like to use of a child of God. He shall judge the quick and the dead. He shall judge those He hath given life those He hath quickened when they were dead and trespassed and sinned. Come, ye blessed of my Father. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. Could that perhaps be the prison house of darkness again? But being quickened and taken from that, why did they feed him? Well, it's to the least of these my brethren. You've done it, so you've done it unto me. Why did they feed them? Why did they clothe them? Why did they give them the things that are necessary for life in this world? Because they had compassion in their heart. Why did they have compassion? It's love. And God is love. That teaches us. They did these things because they're born of the Spirit of God. Because God had quickened them. And they're the quick, the living, being spoken of. Those that are dead are those you said twice dead plucked up from the roots. Who shall be judged? The Lord cometh with tens of thousands of His saints. Every child of God who's died is coming back with Him to be reunited with their body. Who shall give account to Him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Now watch this. I wanted to get to this before I sat down to tie this together. For this cause was the Gospel preached also to them that are dead. (laughs) Who is He talking about? Those in the days of Noah that Christ visited by His Spirit and preached the Gospel. What is the Gospel? Christ and Him crucified The Lord Christ, those that were living in sin and were going to perish off the face of the earth, does that mean Noah was better than them? And Noah was perfect? If there had been one man without sin from the time Adam fell, Christ would not have died in this world to pay for our sins because a man would have attained it. Well, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and Noah was a sinner. But Noah found grace. Isn't that beautiful? Grace. Unmerited love and favor of God in Christ. For this cause was the Gospel preached also to them that are dead. In the days of Noah, we're in the same context, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. I can't tell you the times when I was a child and would hit some of these other places where people, in my opinion and mind, that God blessed them. I wish every child of God knew the truth and I wish we knew more of it. But how many times, making the point, have I heard it all oh, in people that God killed and Noah's flood went to hell? That's enough right there to teach you that's not true. Christ visited His people. Christ gave them life before they perished off the face of the earth in the flood. They were judged by men. They're dead. What chance they got? There's not a preacher to go save them. There's not a choir to sing to them. Christ is not going into hell to preach to them. If He did, hell would bust wide open because Christ is the glory
1: of God.
0: In the eyes of men, they're judged as being killed because of their wickedness and their sin. But let's finish the text. For this cause of the Gospel preached also to them that are dead, they're already dead and gone. What would that have been? 6,000 years ago? Oh, no, wait a minute. This world's 20 billion years old. Didn't you know that? Mm -mm. Not hardly. You trace it back to Adam who was made on day six. You've got about 8,000 years. That's how old the world is. So says the truth, the Scripture. For this cause was the Gospel preached also to them that are dead. And wherever their body went, if they were buried, the Lord buried them. They floated in the water and I guess laid on the ground. They were consumed the fowls that came off the ark or they rotted into the ground. Worms don't breathe, so I reckon the worms might have got them. I don't know. It's Not meant for me to know. I'm confident in the fact of the providence of God and God works His way. We suffer in this world. Take this example of why we suffer and how and why we are delivered. We're delivered by Christ because of the purpose of God in Christ.
1: For for this cause
0: was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, comma, here's another but, but live according to God <laughs> in the Spirit. Do you catch that? How many times do we judge? How many times do I look at somebody in my hard-hearted flesh? And deem them through hatred or something wicked and evil. God is the judge. God forgive me and help me. I told a fellow the other day I was walking with the track. I hadn't seen him in a while. We were talking. I said, you know, I've learned in life. You can't control anybody else. If I can control and judge myself, I fare much better. They live according to God in the Spirit. When the world was flooded, 15 cubits above the highest mountain, if Everest was there, it's the tallest mountain in the world, they'll show you how deep the water was, 15 cubits above Everest. And I believe that. The Bible says it. I have no reason to doubt God. Did we not feel His presence in our heart? And that goes back to suffering. That's the knowledge of Christ. We suffer gladly standing apart from the world and its evils and its teachings. Well, you old cynical fool would call me that. I'm happy with it. I love my Savior. You love your Savior because He first loved us. Suffering for Christ
1: is a pleasure.